Hello, and welcome back to the I Am Podcast. I have a special guest today, Marla, who's going to be touching on her son's mental health struggles and advocacy on behalf of him. Hi, Marla. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining. I think it's super important that we, you know, we touch on mental health on all different areas and all different domains and ages and everything like that. So I think it's important that we're opening up the conversation to be about children's mental health as well. So thank you for kind of kickstarting that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you you briefly mentioned just before we started recording that you wanted to talk about your son's mental health. Do you want to jump right into the reality that you've experienced? Sure. I will. Um, I'm going to preface it with telling a little bit about myself. Okay. Um, I am a nurse practitioner. I had a car accident in 2016 with an 18 wheeler that rendered me disabled. Oh my goodness. So, yeah, so I can't um, work in a traditional nurse practitioner role because I'm unable to be consistent. Um, so I've had to become an entrepreneur. Um, you know, for the flexibility, Um, which is good because it's given me, you know, more time, um, you know, with my son and to address, you know, these issues that have, um, I don't want to say issues, these situations. Yeah, because in issues makes it sound really negative. But, um, you know, I've I've been able to address these situations as they arise. So I'm I'm very blessed in that. Um, But he, I began to notice that um, something was different. Um, when he was about four, um, and you know, also I should say that his dad really isn't in the picture. So having um, a male role model around for my son has always been important to me. Um, and so I've, you know, I've always, strived you know to do that so when he started he started by cutting his shirt when he was about four years old and um so I wasn't going to start therapy that early um but you know I always had it in my mind to start therapy at some point um to address you know whatever issues he has because his dad is not you know present in his life so, but when, when he cut his shirt, that was, you know, at school, that was kind of, you know, like the catalyst that was like, okay, we need to go ahead and get him into therapy. Um, but, you know, he, you know, and when I asked him about it, I was like, you know, why did you cut your shirt? Oh, just cut it. Was it an accident? No. <laughs> okay. You know, so, um, you know, from there, we um, started therapy, and um, unfortunately, you know, well, they decided that he was having some um, abandonment um, problems, which makes sense, right? You know, um, you know, dad's not in his life. You know, abandonment makes sense, but um, unfortunately, the um, counselor that we were seeing ended up abandoning him (laughs) oh no yeah with no warning um we were seeing him for about a year and then he got a job somewhere else and you know we were supposed to like transition like it was supposed to be over a month that we were supposed to be able to say goodbye and then abruptly he just left 
And, you know, what? I don't know what happened. I don't know what the situation was. But, you know, unfortunately, he just, you know, left without, you know, warning. So that was really hard on my son. And um, so then the next provider that we had was at the same um, facility. And again, that provider just kind of left him high and dry, too. So we tried going outside of that um, facility and using somebody else. And then we um, had a disagreement with that um, counselor, but I still thought, you know, that we could make it work. And, um, but that counselor after the, really, really wasn't even a disagreement. It was really a misunderstanding. Um, The counselor just never, you know, followed up, never made another appointment with us after that. So again, there was, you know, more abandonment. I mean, it was just, it was just kind of crazy. So after that, we kind of took a break, right? It was like, yeah, we're kind of done with that. (laughs) And how old was your son at this point? Um, let's see. After these three therapy abandonments? Yeah. He was like seven, eight. Okay. Um, yeah, probably, yeah about seven eight because you know then you know during the pandemic it was kind of hard to find somebody um for him to see as well so it was it was just kind of crazy so um after the abandonments i actually we had actually found um somebody for him to see um after that and um i can't remember if she had suggested it or if I had already had it in the works. But um, anyway, my, in, 2001, in 2021, um, he had started to get like stomach aches and um, just as miscellaneous physical symptoms, headaches, you know, and I, you know, I didn't know what was going on with him. And, you know, he went from, you know, loving Taekwondo, you know, he'd been in it since he was four years old, to, you know, not going and, or, you know, not wanting to go because, you know, he didn't feel well. And, you know, he was missing, I was homeschooling him, but we were going to like a pod every week. And, you know, we were missing a lot of school and, you know, not going to extracurricular activities. And so, you know, went to the pediatrician, you know, went to a couple of specialists and, you know, we couldn't figure out what was going on. So ended up getting him evaluated by a psychologist and he was diagnosed with ADHD, anxiety, and depression. <laughs> and, and, and sorry, you know, this was that like seven or eight years old? Or this is a little this bit older? Was, this was 2021. No, this, that wasn't 21. It had to be, what, what year is this? 23. Yes, it was. It was 2021. So not that long ago. So that was at eight. Okay. Eight. Yep. Eight. So, um, after his diagnosis, um, you know, I was, I was kind of in denial. I'm not going to (laughs) lie because I, you know, I was like with hearing ADHD, um, you know, ADHD has such a stigma and a bad reputation behind it. Um, in my generation, um, you know, because it's not, it wasn't as accepted as it is today, right? Back when I was growing up. Um, 
you know, now it's, you know, accepted and treated and, you know, it's okay. But, you know, like when I was growing up, it was, I mean, like I can vividly remember I had a friend. Um, yeah, I had a friend. Her name was Marilee. And I remember that she had ADHD. And, you know, I, I remember that, you know, she was very hyper and, you know, she had to take a lot of medication. And, you know, I remember that, you know, like it, it was framed as, you know, oh, well, you have to remember, you know, she has ADHD. You know, she's very hyper. Mm-hmm. She has ADHD. You know, I mean, it just wasn't okay, that you know, to have it. You know, it was kind of like, um, like a disease, you know? So that's crazy. Yeah. Right. So, um, uh, you know, at first I was in denial. I was like, you don't have ADHD. Um, but then, you know, as I started researching and, you know, like reading through the evaluation and talking to the psychologist to understand, you know, what his, um, what his findings were, um, you know, it helped me understand that, you know, that now, because when I went through nursing school, you know, ADHD and ADD were in two separate, separate piles, right? And then somewhere along the line, somebody decided to combine the two. Um, So really, my son has ADD. It's just that they're both clumped under the same diagnosis. Um, But I mean, regardless, ADD, ADHD, it doesn't matter, right? Um, You know, I mean, it's both, you know, dealing with the brain and, you know, chemicals and, you know, wiring. And I mean, it's, you know, it's not something contagious, you know, that you can catch or a disease or, you know, I mean, anything, any of the stigma, you know, that it it was, you know, when I was growing up. So do you think um, there's still a stigma nowadays? Because from my experiences, I don't have my own children yet. Um but I'm around children quite often, and I feel like ADD and or ADHD is not so much stigmatized here in Ontario, but it's more so almost over-normalized. Like, if if a parent is trying to kind of excuse their kid's behavior, it's, oh, they have ADD or, oh, they have ADHD, when maybe they don't. Do you mm-hmm. find the same thing? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think now it is kind of over normalized. Now it's kind of like, you know, oh, you know, because it, it's funny before my son was diagnosed, um, we actually had a friend and um, well, we well, the, we still have a friend, you know, this friend. But, you know, um, you know, my son would say, oh, you know, I think, you know, his friend had ADD or, or ADHD. And I was like, Sean, you know, you shouldn't say that. And even if it, he does, you know, it's no big deal. And then my son was diagnosed with ADHD. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like everybody has it now. But of course, everybody doesn't. And and even if they did, it, you know, it's not an excuse, which is something that, you know, I've drilled into my my son, you know, just because, you know, you have this diagnosis, you know, doesn't mean that it's an excuse for you to do, you know, X, Y, Z. So, you know, yeah, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying. And um, where are you located, Marla? Because you're not in oh, Canada, right? No, 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 no. Um, I'm um, about an hour south of Atlanta, Georgia. 
Oh, okay. So it's it's interesting just to me that, like, the States versus Canada, there's a lot of differences, but it's interesting that that's a big similarity yeah. in, in how ADD and ADHD are seen and kind of over-normalized, if we will. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're right. Um, so then, um, I don't know how, how it is in Canada, but... Um, Oh, well, once we got the diagnosis, you know, I, at that time I was homeschooling my son, but I knew that I was going to put him in, in public school because I, um, you know, I, I had him in private school. I was a private school kid, you know, for all my elementary and high school years. Um, but I just couldn't afford to keep him in private school, you know, with the disability. And then, you know, I homeschooled him, which, you know, was was rough on me to homeschool him. And I knew that I needed him to go into to um, public school, you know, because I was doing I felt like I was doing him a disservice. My son is wicked smart. You know, he he reads at an eighth grade level and, you know, he's in in the fourth grade, but he can do fifth grade math. And, you know, I just I felt like he needed a bigger challenge than I was giving him at home. And so that's why I wanted to put him back in school. Um, And also, you know, if he needed resources because of, you know, this diagnosis, then, you know, not just the the ADD or ADHD, but, you know, also because of the anxiety and depression, you know, I wanted to make sure he got those and didn't have like, um, yeah, I guess I could say that, didn't like have a crutch for, you know, staying at home, right? You know, I didn't want him to get used to staying at home, you know, with his anxiety. And then, you know, once he got to middle school or high school and went to a real school, you know, not know how to function, you know, because he was so used to being at home. So. um, So, yeah, so. We got, you know, that evaluation and um, we went ahead. It kind of like opened up a roadmap for me. So, you know, I was like, okay, you know, now I know what boxes to check. So we went ahead and we saw a psychiatrist, you know, not because I was really interested in putting my son on medication, um, because, you know, like I said, I didn't even know he had, you know, ADHD. (laughs) You know, I was more concerned about, you know, the, the, because I thought he had depression, you know, because of all the physical symptoms that he was describing. Um, so that's what I was more concerned about. Um, but so we went to psychiatrist. She said he didn't have to be on medication yet. So we checked that box, right? We were already in counseling. Um, so, you know, we, you know, just continued with counseling, you know, continued to check that box. And then, you know, as far as school was concerned, you know, I thought that it would help us get more research resources in school since we already had the diagnosis, right? You know, we already mm-hmm. knew what was going on with them. But it didn't. You know, I, I, you know, contacted the school before school started and, you know, sent them the evaluation, you know, so that I could already get the ball rolling on the paperwork. I don't know if it's the same paperwork in Canada, but here it's 504 and IEP. And so the in the um, recommendations, the psychiatrist, Psychologist had recommended that he have an IEP and had, you know, put what he recommended with the IEP. So I thought, okay, well, you know, let me get that working. So 
I didn't hear back from the social worker who was over the I, the IEPs before school started. So in the for the what what do you call that thing before school? Um, not open reception, house? but yeah, open house. Thank you for for the for open you. house. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know the thingy. So for open house, I went and I did. You know when we met when we did the meet and greet you know I cornered the social worker and I was like hey you know I sent you an email didn't hear back from you and she was like oh yeah you know um I saw it um didn't read the evaluation but I forwarded it to the assistant principal because um you know uh, 504 does the same thing that an IEP does um and you know you don't need an IEP and I was like well but the psychologist said I needed an IEP and she was like, oh, you don't need an IEP. You know, it's it's just a lot of paperwork. You know, if, if I were you, if it were if it was my child, I, I would just do the 504. I wouldn't even worry about the IEP. And what exactly is a 504? Because I don't, it's to my knowledge anyways, I don't think we have that in Canada. I think it's more an IEP. Okay. So the 504, yes, yeah, yeah you're going to ask me the difference. So... Basically, a 504, you can have accommodations, but you're not considered disabled. Okay. And in the IEP, your child is considered disabled by education standards. Okay. That makes so sense. Then you, so then you get more accommodations. Okay. I'm following now. <laughs> okay. Okay. I believe that that's the major difference between the two. Um, if there are other differences, then I'm not aware of them because again, you know, this is all new to me as well. Okay. So nope, that's if, fair. If, I think that's a big okay. difference though. <laughs> okay. I'm like, I'm like, if anybody out there is listening and I'm wrong, I'm sorry. <laughs> correct so, us. <laughs> yeah. Correct us, please. So, um, you know, we went with the 504 and then, you know, he started missing lots of school because, you know, kids with anxiety miss school. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they acted like my son was the first kid to miss school who had anxiety. And so, you know, that they instead of it being OK for me to write notes, you know, that you know, he didn't feel well that day or, you know, whatever it was, then they started requiring that I get a doctor's note, even if it was just for anxiety. So oh I was like, well, why do I have a 504? So then I started working towards the IEP because I was like, well, why'd y'all talk me out of the IEP? Because I thought the IEP would protect me. Mm-hmm. Well, then he was denied for the IEP and I was told that his denial was because he he made straight A's and because you know his and yes they agreed that he has anxiety but it doesn't impact his education because he has straight A's and until his grades start falling then he's not um, eligible for IEP but how can he maintain his straight A's if he's missing school from being anxious Thank you. I got Thank you. you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So then I uh, went to the 
um, board of education, you know, like the, you know, the county board of education. And I was like, you know, I, I need to fight this because this doesn't make any sense to me. So they have parent liaisons. <clears throat> and that's when the parent liaison told me that um, that it wouldn't, that neither the 504 or the IEP would cover me with his absences. That the only thing that I could do is to get him hospital homebound. Do you guys have that in Canada? <clears throat> to be honest, we might, but I don't know. So I'm going to say probably not. <laughs> <laughs> and again, and again, if if any of my Canadian followers and listeners know otherwise, please correct me. But as far as I know, we don't. <laughs> yeah. So hospital homebound is where either your child is in the hospital or like has a chronic disease that keeps them from being able to go to school. So if they're in the hospital, you know, then they'll provide. I don't know if there are, there's staff in the hospital that helps with, with school or, you know, whatever. Um, but they will provide, like, virtual help or a tutor, you know, to help with the, the schoolwork. And then there's also intermittent hospital homebound to where there are specific days that you agree to go to school. Like, it can't be a random day. It has to be, like, a specific day. And, you know, when you, yeah, okay, but, you know, like, but when you have anxiety, it's not like you, you know, wake up at the beginning of the week and go, oh, I'm not going to go to school Tuesday, Thursday and Friday this week. You know, it doesn't work that way. Right. No, no, it does not. So, (laughs) right. So, you know, he's not really eligible for hospital homebound, um, intermittent hospital homebound either. So, um, I ended up doing hospital homebound, but, but really because he ended up having another medical problem. Um, you know, he's having problems walking right now and we don't know what the cause of that is. And so until we can figure out the cause, you know, he can't go to school right now. He's on a walker and, you know, he has pain. The the longer he walks, the longer he has pain. And I mean, the more pain he has and the more he can't walk. So, you know, that's why he's, you know, not going to school right now. But I mean, you know, that's what we ended up doing right now. But, you know, my my point is and and what I really want to point out is, is that, you know, if all this is known about child's mental health, right, that, you know, children with anxiety, you know, have problems, you know, with school attendance, Um, you know, I mean, I mean, really that, you know, there's just not that much information about children and mental health or, you know, that people know about it, but, you know, like nobody talks about it. And then, you know, those of us who are going through it, I mean, feel so alone, like, I have felt so alone through this process because, I mean, the other part of it that people don't want to talk about is, you know, some people's families are really supportive, right? Mm-hmm. But mine have not been so much. Um, you know, mental health in the black community is not always looked upon favorably, 
right? Get, you know, getting, talking to a counselor, going to um, a psychologist, all that is not looked upon, you know, well, because, you know, people feel that, you know, why are you talking to a stranger instead of talking to one of your family members? Do you feel like you have more family support, I guess, in the sense of medically what's going on with your son versus mental health? Even though technically mental health falls under medical? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Or not even really support with that either? Yes and no. Um, I did in the beginning, but the longer it goes on, it's like they start, it feels, they haven't said this, okay? I want to make that clear. But it feels like they're questioning whether or not it's even real, right? And I I can't blame them for that, you know, because in the beginning, you know, I questioned, you know, hey, is this, you know, Sean's, is this his depression? Is this anxiety? You know, um, you know, is this mental health or is this truly physical? Um, and then, you know, as it went on, I was like, no, this is truly physical. This is not, you know, you can't, you know, with mental health, you can't not, you know, I mean, I've watched him, you know, he's, he's falling, you know, because, you know, the longer he walks, you know, the more he falls. Um, but you know, they're not seeing that. Mm -hmm. I think it's important too, to interconnect the fact that, you know, your son has struggled with mental health. And when you jump through all of these hoops trying to advocate and get support in the school setting for the mental health, and really, from the sounds of it, this home-based, home and hospital-based care really still isn't advocating and supporting you in supporting and advocating for your son mentally. It's right. the physical that really brought it, right? So I think it's important, right. too, to note that mental health is health. And physical and mental health, they're different, but they're still connected. If your son has, I'm assuming here, correct me if I'm wrong, if your son has a really bad day where his depression is at an all-time high or he's very anxious, I'm sure that affects his physical health too, right? And if his physical health is really bad, that in turn affects his mental health, right? So it's it's a vicious cycle. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But, but but yet the nurse will not actually the not just the nurse, the nurse, the school, the school will not let him go home if his anxiety is increased or if his depression is increased, you know, that and he goes to the office and he's like, you know, hey, you know, I need to go home. They will not let him, you know, I mean, you know, I've even talked to the principal and I was told, you know, that that she needs to evaluate him to make sure that he can't make it through the day, which is totally unfair because the whole point and what his teachers have seen is that he puts on a mask for everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and he's how is not- the person evaluating him supposed to be inside his mind? How do they know how he's actually feeling, especially right. when there's a mask, right? Right, right. He, he's not going to drop the mask for them because he's not comfortable with them. Mm-hmm. And then because of that, they don't... It sounds like from my outsider perspective that they don't necessarily care to 
understand necessarily or support him. And then if he doesn't have that support from them, he's not going to open up. So they're just going to continue to not care and not support and keep him at school even when he's having a either a bad physical day or a bad mental health day. Right? Right. I I don't even think it's a I don't care thing. I think it's I think it's the same thing that my family experiences. I think it's a I don't see it. So it's not there. Right. The same way with invisible disabilities, you know, like, you know, that I deal Mm -hmm. with. I look I look fine to the average person. When I walk around, I look fine. Nobody can see how much pain I'm in. And because Mm -hmm. I look fine, you know, when I tell people that I don't work and I'm disabled, they look at me like I'm crazy, like like I'm scamming the system, like I'm a druggie. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I get a lot of comments. (laughs) It it all goes back to the stigma, right? Right, right. It's the stigma. So, you know, I, I don't think it's that they care. I think it's this preconceived notion that I can't see it, so it must not be there. Okay, so I have a loaded question for you then. And, and okay. I think maybe there's not an answer right now or next month or next year. But in an ideal world, what would you see, what would you like to see rather, the world do to work through that preconceived notion of... I don't see it. You're fine. There's no problem. A loaded question, right? (laughs) Yeah. um, What can we as, you know, advocates, whether it's for children, for adults, for whatever the population is, advocates for mental health, what can we do continually to work through that? Whether it's independently, whether it's with our clients, with our families, as a society, do you have any any thoughts or insight into that? Because this is also something that I see like on a daily basis at work as well. Yeah, um, I think that we need to stop. And this is hard. I'm not saying this is easy. So please hear me and hear my heart when I say this. We need to stop judging people by their cover, right? Stop judging a book mm-hmm. by their cover. You know, when you walk up to somebody and you see the way they look and they're smiling at you, don't assume they're happy. You know, we we have to quit assuming that, you know, what people look like is how they feel. And, you you know, I've got (laughs) to, you know, and the best analogy I have for that is when I first got out of nursing school, I hadn't been out of nursing school for six months. I worked in a palliative care unit and um, I was taking care of a gentleman and their family. And um, one of the family members, I will never forget, um, asked me how I was doing. And I was like, I'm fine. And then um, he stopped me and he goes, no. How are you really doing? Do you ever take your mask off? Wow, that's powerful. I have never forgotten that. And I graduated from nursing school in my late 20s. I'm 46. <laughs> wow. And, and what was your answer to him? Do you ever take your mask off? I couldn't answer him. 
at the time I didn't I just I had to turn and walk away I I didn't even know how he saw me you know what what was it about me that he truly saw how did he see me I mean at, at the time I was going through a divorce and I, I just I just couldn't understand how he saw me. And, and now, like no, flash all, forward. Yeah, you, all I was gonna say is, man, I'm hitting you with the loaded questions today, Marla. <laughs> <laughs> And, I thought and maybe I you did. don't have an answer. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I thought I did until, you know, I found out that my son was doing the same thing, you know, until my son mm-hmm. told me, you know, that he has to be one way, you know, in one place and one way in another. And then I, I wondered, you know, it, it's making me wonder, am, is that learned behavior? Mm-hmm. Um, or is that a survival technique? Um, or you know, that's, is that is is that a learned coping mechanism, if you will, for a male who men, you know, aren't supposed to suffer from mental health. They're not supposed to cry. They're not supposed to talk about it, right? That's what society tells us. So is your son learning this, one, because he's a male, two, because he's younger, and three, because it is the black community, right? Like there's so many, so many variables to even remotely knowing and understanding the mask that we all wear, right? Right. And I think, I think also, I did, I did throw you the loaded question of, do you take your mask off now, 20 some years later? And that wasn't necessarily me, I guess, looking for an answer. I think it was more to get you to reflect, to get me to reflect, to get to get the listeners to reflect. Because the more that you say that, the more that I think I don't. And then if right. I don't, as a... And if you don't, as we're both advocates of the mental health field, does anybody? That's right. And then, right? And then it goes into, like, a conversation of, well, how do we? How do we break the stigmas? How do we work through all of the all of the things that society tells us we're supposed to think and do and not follow what society tells us to do? It's it's it's, it's a loaded conversation, it's a loaded question and again, I just reflect on it, right? I I think there may not be an answer now or next month or next year. It's something that we we have to actively work on, right? between yourself and your son and myself and all of our other fellow passionate mental health advocates. Yeah, yeah. But keeping that in mind, shouldn't it be easier to see that other people are wearing masks too and not judge them for the masks that they are wearing? Now Marla's hitting with the loaded questions. (laughs) It's... It's it's a very it's a valid question, right? I think those of us that I mean personal experience over here and professional experience, I think the more 
mental health is ingrained in my daily life, whether it's my personal struggles or my client's struggles or what have you, I think that's such a valid question. And why don't we? Because we still haven't started to work down the barriers that society tells us. You know, don't show emotion. Don't show that you're weak, in quotes. You're absolutely not weak if you suffer. But don't show that you're weak. Don't cry. Um, you know, if somebody's, if somebody's struggling or suffering and they reach out, they're wanting attention. They're X, Y, and Z, right? And I think, in my opinion at least, again, way easier said than done, and I don't even know how it it would possibly happen, but I would love to see a day that we work to break down the stigma and break down those those views, if you will, that we're supposed to follow because they're not true. And and I think in turn in working through those, whatever that looks like, however that looks like, however long that looks like, our masks will fall off. And I think we can just show that we're truly just human beings. But again, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah say it louder for the people in the back <laughs> right <laughs> I do have now that I've kind of dropped this I did a mic drop I guess I think that's the cool thing to say yeah um, a follow up question for your son and for yourself do you, does your son actively, I mean, directly or maybe indirectly, speak of his mental health? Aside from being yes. with you and, like, the medical professionals, does he talk about it with kind of anybody? Or is it more sheltered to just mom and just the nurse and just the psychologist? Um, well, I said yes, but I should have said indirectly because when he sees somebody being teased or picked on because of their mental health um, situations, he will stand up for them. That's he gets angry. I mean, he gets beyond angry when he sees you know, somebody who is having anxiety or, you know, is having a hard time speaking and somebody's, you know, making fun of them or whatever. I mean, yeah, he gets visibly angry and doesn't know what to do with that anger. That's something that, that you know, we're working through um, because he just, he's, he's really, really kind-hearted. He loves... He loves people. I think that also, though, I mean, this is our first time connecting verbally, I guess, if you will, but I think that goes to show how you've raised him, though, right? I think it shows that your passions are are, are going through his mind, and he's listening, and he's learning. And, and maybe that's partly, you know, because the systems aren't working in his favor, he feels that maybe he needs to also be an advocate. I think, I just think that really shows how you've raised him to be an incredible young man or young boy, because he's still quite young, right? Um, yeah, he, he's 10, going on 25, but yeah, he's 10. 
He's just a little <laughs> baby yet. <laughs> but I, I truly do think that, you know, us as the advocates and the people that are passionate about this and constantly having these conversations, I think it's important to not not push it necessarily on our our kids, our future kids, our future grandkids, but I think it I think the conversation needs to open up. And I think it sounds like you've done a really good job with that with your son. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I know I know it's not easy to to continue to advocate to kind of be mama bear if you will and you know, just continue the advocating the advocating struggle, but I'm wondering if there's any tips that you might might want to share maybe with any other mamas that are advocating or any other young children that are, you know, either just beginning their mental health struggles or on their journey. Just any tips in general, if you, if you have any in, floating in your mind. I know you've experienced a lot these last couple of years, so... Yeah, um, I have three. Um, one, um, you know, you actually you just brought it to mind. You know, one of the best things that I did, and and that might have turned my son into an advocate, was sharing my mental health struggles with him, mm-hmm. um, because then he didn't feel like some alien, right? He didn't feel like he was doing it alone or, you know, that this was exclusive to him or that he was the only person in the world who, you know, was going through, you know, anxiety. And the way that I shared that with him, you know, would like be telling him situations like, you know, one day I had anxiety because I walked into a room full of people that I didn't know. And so, you know, I told him about that and, you know, just little things like that really helped him embrace, you know, how he was feeling. Um, Number two um, is, you know, I'm fortunate because I am a medical person. And so, yeah, in some ways this is easier for me um, because I'm able to navigate the system. Um, But in some ways it's a lot of foreign language. But um, my second tip to you is, you know, try to find somebody who knows the lingo, right? Like a social worker, you know, somebody who's in the school system, Um, you know, use your resources, even if it's not somebody who's super close to you, then, you know, get in a Facebook group, you know, where people talk about it. Or, you know, there's lots of social media platforms that you can get in, like Peanut, I think is another great um, resource um, with a lot of mamas talking about, you know, stuff. A lot of first-time mamas in there, too. What um, the heck is Peanut? I have never heard of that before. <laughs> you haven't heard of the Peanut app? I haven't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's an app, and I don't think it's exclusive to the United States. I think that, that Peanut is everywhere. Actually, I'm, I pretty much know Peanut is everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And it, it okay. talks about, you know, parenting advice. It's, it's really great. I was on Peanut for a while, and then I just got overwhelmed with too much social media. So, um but yeah, Peanut is a great app um, with parenting tips okay. and stuff. And and actually, they're doing um, a lot with trying to make it like professionals giving tips and, you know, trying to, you know, help cool. mamas, you know, like know what's going on. And then the third tip is you're not alone. 
you know, you're, you're not alone. Um, you know, find your community like, like this wonderful community, you know, here, you know, this wonderful podcast, you know, you know, find your tribe and don't give up. Okay. I'm sorry. That was four, but you know, it's kind of rolled into one, but yeah, find your tribe and don't give up, you know, find somebody to support you. Sometimes that's not your family and that's okay. But, you know, just find somebody who will support you and, you know, love on you and, you know, help you make it through this because you will. I think you also kind of touched on number five in a very roundabout way, but I think I picked up on it was boundaries, having boundaries for yourself and your family as advocates. I think. Yes. That I pulled that kind of out of what you were just saying. And it's true. It's a huge it's a huge um, necessity when it comes to mental health. Yes, yes. We'll have to talk about that next time. (laughs) It would be amazing to do another, like, almost follow-up episode to how your son and you are doing. That would be incredible, but that will be a conversation for another day. But I did really want to thank you, Marla, for being a guest, for talking about mental health, in general, for being an advocate, for being a, your son's advocate, for specifically talking about children's mental health. it Like you've said a few times today, it, it's not talked about enough, and it needs to be. And I just, I thank you. I appreciate all that you bring to the world and to the field of mental health. Well, thank you. I, you know, I had a lot of fun. I really appreciate you having me on here and and, you know, letting me be passionate about about my passion. Together we'll be passionate together. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again. And to everybody that was listening, I hope this was helpful and I hope I hope it just inspired you to continue the good fight and to work on the stigma, to break down the stigma and to just talk. Just talk about mental health. It doesn't have to be big platforms or big conversations. Just start small. Just start somewhere. And I guess that's that's my words of encouragement for today. And other than that, I am sending you lots of love and light and we'll talk to you soon.